some of you remember during the last recession, 07, 06, 07, 08, and, and there were so many companies that going under and belly up, and uh, remember the, the, the term is too big to fail? And uh, in one of these companies that became insolvent and was going belly up, the leadership of the company, the management leadership brought together the whole uh, employees of the company in one big meeting in order to explain to them the situation. Uh, the company's senior vice president started, <clears throat> and he began to explain very thoughtfully and, and very painfully even and, and emotionally, uh, explain the problem and how um, in a short period of time, most of them, if not all of them, are going to be losing their jobs. After painstakingly and carefully explaining the consequences of the situation, they opened the floor for questions from the employees. Just listen carefully to the first question, okay? Here's the first question. The person raised their hand and asked, why doesn't the coffee wagon stop on the 13th floor anymore. <laughs> you know, I know I chuckled, and sometimes we call this type of person all sorts of names. Out to lunch comes to mind. Space gazer comes to mind. But in reality, this is truly the human condition. We refuse to face realities. By nature, we pretend that everything is fine, nothing to see here. And that is the condition that is so magnified today that I see clearly today. Like never before, at least in my lifetime. What do I mean by this? Most people are oblivious to the so many dangers that we are facing. I, I, I personally don't never forget not back in 1977 when I was doing my graduate degree in California and I was, I was studying uh, something about the Russian Orthodox Church. And that's something that I read that literally pulled me, pulled me out of my seat and it left indelible mark on me that in the midst of the heat of the Bolshevik Revolution, the Communist Revolution, where blood was floating down in the streets of Moscow, the Russian Orthodox Church priests were all gathering together in a meeting, their synod. And no, 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 not to talk about preaching the gospel, not praying about for, for that horrible situation that they were facing, but they were debating the colors of the vestments. These are the robes. <laughs> that the priests wear in different seasons. So you may ask, well, Michael, <laughs> what has all of this got to do with Palm Sunday? Everything, everything, a great deal. For that's exactly what was happening on that very first Palm Sunday, the very first one. The inhabitants of Jerusalem were burying their heads in the sand the inhabitants of Jerusalem were refusing to face realities. Uh, they were so blinded with their own ideas, 
their own anticipations, their own fantasies, that they refuse to discern the signs of the times in which they were living. Now, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. And if you do not have your Bible, you can grab one in the pew in front of you, page 1631, 1631. Luke 19, 28 to 44. I'm going to show you the relevance to Palm Sunday. Listen very carefully as I read the Word of God. After Jesus said this, he went ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, on a hill that is called Mount of Olives. I sat on the Mount of Olives many times, looking across to Jerusalem. He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden before. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks you, why are you untying the colt? Tell them, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found that colt, and just as the Lord told them. So as they untied the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord has need of it. They brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road down Mount of Olives the whole crowd of disciples and began to joyfully to praise God in a loud voice because of all the miracles that they had seen. And they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees that were in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He said, I tell you, he replied, if, I, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept. Actually, not just tearing, but he sobbed. He sobbed. He sobbed over it and said, if you... Even you had only known the day, had only known this day, what would bring you true peace, but now it's hidden from you. The days will come upon you when your enemy will build on an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in from every side. 
they will dash you to the grounds, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on top of the other because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Father, I confess to you privately, I confess to you publicly. It is impossible to comprehend all aspects of this incredible day we call Palm Sunday. I'm incapable. We all are incapable. And therefore, we come to you with utter dependence on your Holy Spirit that he may speak to us and then open our hearts to receive your word so that we may be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. On this first Palm Sunday, and in fact, I can tell you from my heart, on this Palm Sunday, 2023, more than any other Palm Sunday in my lifetime, the words of Jesus' warning are more relevant than ever before. These words are more urgent than ever before. These words are more poignant than ever before. These words are more critical than ever before. These words are more pressing than ever before. Why am I saying this? Beloved, listen to me. Our world is on the brink. Our nation is in deep peril. A handful of people seem to be controlling global events behind the scenes. A handful of people manipulating the economies of the world. Our nation's leaders uh, appear to be a wall on the world stage. Immoral people are occupying pulpits and even denominational leadership. Christians are openly persecuted in that traditionally Christian lands like our land in the United States and in England and in Australia and in Canada like never before. The news media is conspiring openly to muddy the truth and propagate lies. They have no shame anymore. They have no shame anymore. And yet, in the midst of all of this, the vast majority of people, the vast majority of people are oblivious to these realities. The vast majority of people are so engrossed in their sports and entertainment and self-indulgence, they are too preoccupied with their own needs and victimhood uh, or even perceived what is truly going on. Here, in these words of Jesus, you can truly sense, I don't know about you, but I read it over and over and over again. Every time I, I sense the deep grief in his voice. You can sense the sorrow in his voice regarding the condition of apathy. You can feel Jesus' own sorrow over Jerusalem refusing to face reality. 
Please listen to those words again as if you've never heard them before. He saw the city and he sobbed over it. If you, yes you, had only known on this day what brings you true peace, but now it is hidden from you. Oh, my precious friends, if there is a message that I want to shout from the rooftop, if there is a message I want to shout from the mountaintop, it'd be this, the words of Jesus, not my words, I don't have any words. Discern the times in which we live. Discern the urgency of the hour. Discern the danger of our time. Discern the importance of the time in which we live. Please don't misunderstand me. I, I, know, I, know, I know some people will probably will misunderstand me, but I don't want you to. Please let me beg you not to misunderstand me. This is not a call to panic. No. We don't panic because we have read the last chapter and we know we win. This is not a call for us to store food or gold and silver. This is not a call to put your money under the mattress and live in worry. This is not a call to hit for the hills. No, this is an urgent call of a spiritual nature. This is an urgent call to witnessing and proclamation and standing up like never before. This is an urgent call for us to be motivated to live for Him and Him alone. On that first Palm Sunday, Jesus wept over the fact that the inhabitants of Jerusalem were not discerning the times in which they were living. They were not discerning the opportunity for their salvation that had come to them from heaven. They were not discerning the rare opportunity that they have. They were oblivious as to necessity of believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. They were oblivious to their privilege of living in the days that many generations past have longed for, for hundreds of years they looked forward to. They were living in the days of being able to see with their own eyes and hear with their own ears the anointed Messiah, the anointed of God, Jesus the Christ. Had people understood the times, they would have become eternally saved. Had they understood the times, they would have experienced peace in the midst of turmoil. Had they understood the times, they would have recognized that Jesus was in their midst. The only Savior was in their midst. The only Lord King is in their midst. The only Redeemer is in their midst. That their only Messiah, Yeshua Mashiach, is in their midst. I'm not into speculation, but I wonder, who knows if Jerusalem may have been spared the horrors of the A.D. 70. Read about it in history. Absolutely horrific. Less than 37 years since Jesus uttered those words. Had you understood the times, history would have been different. Judgment may have been stayed. Destruction may not have befallen them. 
dislocation might not have scattered them all over the globe. So the question is, is Jesus saying anything to our generation? Is Jesus saying anything to our generation on this Palm Sunday? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. And may God give us spiritual ears and spiritual eyes to hear and see. Had you discerned the time, you would have refused to compromise your convictions. Had you understood the times, you wouldn't have sold your birthright for pittance. Had your churches been more Holy Spirit awakened and not woke, had you understood the times, your pastors would have repented of their sins instead of baptizing sin into the church. Your churches would have been studying the truth of my word instead of rewriting it. Oh, my dear friends. It takes divine wisdom to discern the times in which we live. It takes sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God to discern the times. It takes deep intimacy with God to discern the times. It takes closer walk with Christ to discern the times. Had you, even you, understood the times. I don't have to tell you that this is one of those times in history when our world literally is upside down. I think I've studied history. I'm interested in history. I know history somewhat. The world is upside down right now. Even foreign, foreign countries, foreign presses are talking about how the world has changed just in the last four weeks. And we are desperately in need of faithful men and women, boys and girls, to recognize that we cannot just keep on our happy, merry ways. That we cannot pretend that we are in the 50s anymore. Why? Because trust has been broken. Hatred has become the norm. Truth is in a coma and almost dying. Our children under attack like never before. An entire political party, major political party in America, are again voted against parents' rights. Please listen to me. A government that believes that our children belongs to the government and not to God and to, uh, to the parents is an open door to unleashing the evil forces in our nation. talking about evil forces, I got an email. I shared it with few who are in that part of the world and involved in that part of the world, New England. April 28 to 30, just remember that date. April 28 to 30, 2023. 2023. 
the largest gathering of Satanists in history is getting underway in Boston. And as you see from their website, it's sold out. It's sold out. There are one and a half millions in America belong to the satanic church. Now let me quote to you from the invitation and what the invitation says. There will be host a variety of satanic rituals, educational sessions like Satanism and self-pleasure, deconstructing your religious upbringing, reclaiming the trans body, to just mention a few. I don't want to depress you any further. Had we known the times, had we discerned the opportunity, and don't ever forget, please don't ever forget, that the crowd on that first Palm Sunday, the crowd on that first what we call Palm Sunday, they were caught in the excitement of the time. They were caught in the excitement of the day, the excitement of the moment. What was it? Oh, what they wanted, what they wanted. They were longing for a king to physically deliver them from Rome. They were focusing on the here and now instead of eternity. And my friends, much of our churches today are either caught up in a mode of entertainment or dead rituals. Thank God for the faithful churches. And I'm, we're not the only one. I know there are so many faithful churches who are staying the course and staying the, 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 on, the, on, the, on the road to faithfulness. But much of our churches today are focusing on pe making people uh, feel comfortable in their sin. Much of our churches today are competing to see Who's going to entertain better? Much of our churches today are filled with people who are thinking of how they can come to church late and leave early, or not go to church at all and just watch online. Had you understood the day, had you understood even today, and I have to wonder aloud, I must confess, I wondered aloud about how probably even some of the 12, some of the disciples, they were a much larger crowd, when they heard Jesus, and they were thinking, why is Jesus such a killjoy? Why, why is he not just living the spirit of the moment? Why doesn't he just enjoy the party? We don't get that kind of acceptance every day. Why doesn't he just get into it? Get in the spirit of it. Why doesn't he revel for the moment? Why doesn't he just go along to get along? Why is Jesus turning happiness into sorrow? Why is Jesus turning triumph into tears? Why is he turning these festivities into a lament? After all, people want a feel-good message. After all, people don't want to face realities of life. After all, people do not want to think of a future that may be bleak. Oh, my friends, if there is one thing that I have learned through the years, and thank God I've learned a few things. I learned a few things as I get along. 
as I, I'm coming toward my last quarter. Although Monty Johnson told me, said, don't say that. He said, he said just say you're in the overtime. <laughs> and who knows football better than him? <laughs> he said the best thing about overtime is sudden death. <laughs> I learned a few things about the crowd. You know what I mean, the mob, the crowd. The crowd will be for you one day and against you the next. You see, the crowd going to applaud you one day, but then if they hear you saying something they don't like to hear, they'll be appalled of you tomorrow. The crowd may love you today, but they're going to loathe you tomorrow. The crowd may sing Hosanna today, but in four, three, four days' time, they'll say, crucify. The crowd might crown you today, but they will place a crown of thorn on your head tomorrow. The crowd may praise you today, but they will disparage you tomorrow. Listen to me. The crowd always gets caught in the spirit of the moment. But that spirit of the moment turned 180 degrees only four days later. Why? Because Jesus did not meet their false expectations. <laughs> because Jesus did not accommodate to their selfish desires. Because Jesus did not give them what they wanted. Because Jesus failed to fulfill the desires of their flesh. And they thought that he is a king who will overthrow the Roman oppression. That He'll, be, uh, 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 he'll bring on an, uh, a temporary happiness that he will be the sugar daddy <laughs> who's going to give them material prosperity. There's nothing wrong against material prosperity. When God gives it to you, praise God and use it for his glory. You see, there is no virtue in wealth. There's no virtue in poverty. That he will be their Savior, from the earthly troubles, not from hell, uh, that He is going to give them temporary peace, not eternal peace. And that is why Jesus said, if you knew what brings you real peace. So when their perceived needs were not met, they turned on Him. And that is why I could really weep with joy. I some, sometimes weep both ways. I, I'm not very discriminating. Sometimes I weep for joy, <laughs> out of joy, and sometimes I weep out of sorrow. But I can weep of joy, of joy as I look across this congregation. And the faithfulness of so many of you, the biblical conviction that you have maintained through the years your tenacity in hanging in there with me through thick and thin. The many of you who have been here for a long time or even short time, that you've taken your biblical conviction seriously when others have departed because they couldn't take it. God knows I'm not into flattery. God knows my heart. 
but I'm on to truthfulness. And the Bible said, give honor to whom honor is due. And that's what I'm doing now. We as a congregation, we have been here for 36 years. And here, 36 years later, simply because of the depth of the discernment of so many of you, just take it from me. Trust me. Through the past 36 years, I have never invited people to join the church under false pretenses or false hope. Never. Not one time. The opposite is true. I actually told people not to join the church because I perceive they have false expectations. And just in case there may be one person who's been living under a rock and doesn't know this, <laughs> just might be one person, somebody may be watching online does not know, let me tell you what we're about. We're about the whole truth of the Word of God. We're about one and only gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're about saving souls from eternal damnation and hell. We're about taking as many souls to heaven with us as God allows us. Please listen to me. We're not about modern false gospels or partial truth or feel-good Christianity or prosperity gospel or poverty gospel or black gospel or white gospel. We are not about Marxist socialist justice gospels, social justice gospel. We are not about the woke gospel of viewing people according to the color of their skin. We are not about adopting the secular, humanistic, false sympathies. No in a million no's. Oh, listen, we're going to attract a whole lot more people. people. Pastors have told me that for years. <laughs> Why? So I can water the message down and then they can curse me from hell? No. No. And a million no's. We're about seeking and inviting, seeking to please, seeking to serve only one person, and his name is Jesus. Because Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, of course he's talking about the cross, but whenever Jesus is lifted up, he's the one who draws people to himself. Church doesn't, pastor doesn't, Jesus does. We're here about lifting Jesus, and only Jesus. Jesus is calling all of us to heed his warning. Had you understood the times? Why? Because Jesus recognized the danger of sentimentality of the crowd in relationship to the gravity of the situation. And that is why Jesus not just wept, he sobbed. He sobbed. He wept because he knew they did not understand the gravity of the coming judgment. My friend, please listen to me. I'm coming close toward the end now. Being serious-minded does not mean that we are morbid. We're not. 
See, the enemies of the cross accuse us of being morbid. We're not. We're serious-minded about the gospel. We're serious-minded about Jesus. We're, we're serious-minded about the message of salvation. Being serious-minded means that being truthful does not mean we are unloving as the enemies of the cross would like to accuse us. You see, it's the opposite is true. It is because we are so loving, therefore we are truth-tellers. Because we are loving, we are truthful. Listen to me. Regardless of the world's response, we must stay the course. They can love us or loathe us. They can receive us or reject us. They can praise us or condemn us. They can accept us or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. It makes no difference. It makes no difference. We must keep on loving. We must keep on giving. We must keep on serving. We must keep on inviting. And we must keep on rejoicing. Like Martin Luther, the great reformer, we can only say, here I stand, for I can do no other. Here I stand, for I can do no other. Say it with me. Here I stand, for I can do no other.